Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Yo, what's happening, Rush Nation, and welcome to Draft Night. It feels like this offseason has culminated very slowly in tonight, and tonight is just going to go absolutely ballistic. If you don't recognize this voice, my name is Stocks. I am returning to Five Yard Rush. If you don't remember me from before, hello again. Um, it wouldn't be Five Yard if I wasn't joined by my brother in arms, the hands to my Chewbacca in the Five Yard Falcon. Big man, this is an absolute treat. How you doing, bro? I'm not used to being on mute. I'm not used to handing over the reins. Um, it's weird that you, you've called me hands and you Chewbacca, because I clearly look more Chewbacca than you do. Yeah, but I, I thought about this on my how I was going to do the intro, and I thought, yeah, but of the two, Chewbacca's just like the guy who flies the ship, really. Hans does all the dirty work, all the fighting, all the, the monetary stuff. I can't really say I'm the hand Solo. That would just be unfair oh, to you. That's so. fair. Well, I appreciate it. It's it. First of all, there's there's so many things to unpack in the opening thirty seconds already, and I'm not going to take too long. That hype video, by the way, is incredible. I think we should just roll that for the next like three months and just pretend it's your first show, so we can roll that out all the time. Well, we, we can. I mean, it was a I, I, Lee said when he heard I was coming back ages ago. He said, "I'm going to make you a hype video." So Lee, being Lee, super busy. I didn't want to bother him. And a couple of days, I said, "Oh, how's the video going, Lee?" He said, "I haven't done anything. How about a little bit of music?" And I thought, okay. That's fine. And then Simo, he said he can do a video. Simo made a video. And I said, put this music to a video. Simo did it. It was twice as long. I said, cut it in half. I don't need all that adulation. There we are. 17 seconds at the beginning of the show. Wallop. I'm back. I, I love it. I love it. Great video. It's so good to have you back. I Yeah, it's, it's a good day. It's a really good day uh, to have you back. And also to have one of my favorite guests. And I guess technically one of my bosses as well. <laughs> On, on the pod <laughs> to welcome you back as well. It's just awesome. I'm going to hand it over to you, Stocks. 
So <clears throat> today's guest, I would like to say before I introduce him, as soon as we got onto the live stream, he asked me how the golf game was going. And I haven't spat, spoke to this guest in oh, a long, long time. So the memory recall there straight off the gate was fantastic. Of course, we're talking about the managing editor of Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros, Rankings King, host of the Fits on Fantasy podcast, overall amazing guy whose memory is like an elephant. It's Pat <laughs> Fitzmorris, everybody. Pat, welcome back to Five Yard, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing well, Stocks. I'm honored to be the guest for your return appearance. Uh, that feels serendipitous. I feel very lucky about that. I have been sitting here trying to figure out if you two are Hannah and Chewbacca. Does that make me Princess Leia or one of the droids? Um, <laughs> Let's go with know. Leia. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to do something with my hair, I guess. But um, yeah, it's it's great to be on with you guys. I mean, we're just hours away from the draft, so uh, you know. And it, it turns out. Uh, my wife normally works from home, but uh, this is one of the rare days where she had to go into the office for meetings. My kids are at school, so uh, I've got all this excitement going on, and I've had no one to talk to except for the dog, and he's not really interested in Zay Flowers' landing spot tonight. So um, mm -hmm. just been pacing around like a caged animal all day, and and you know, very feel very fortunate to be able to have this release to uh, talk about this with you guys. That's good. Before we get onto it. I so I someone asked me this morning, are you excited for the draft? And I, I've and we'll get into it and we'll unpack it. I don't I don't know what it is, and I don't know if it's this draft class or because last year's draft was so nuts. Like opening night of the draft was just blockbuster trades, a lot of things we've never seen. I just don't know. I just not as excited. And like I think it's a combination of there's a lot of good players, but no, like exceptional players in this draft. And then you have, I think all the exciting trades are done. I just don't see there being that many. I mean, we'll unpack it, but I'm kind of just like, it's not going to live up to the last couple of years. And I'm a bit nervous that it's just going to go back to like a draft of 15, 20 years ago, where you've just got a lot of, a lot of guys, a lot of contributors. There's going to be a lot of good play. I'm not saying this is a poor class, I just don't think it's a great class. And I think I'm a bit like, uh, <laughs> and normally when it's been like that, Tampa have been picking pretty high in the top five or six. So then you're like, okay, well, we're at least going to get one of the good players. And now I'm thinking like, I'm not really sure who we're going to get. And too many people are mocking Anthony Richardson to, uh, to the Bucks. And if that happens, I might just quit. <laughs> I might just quit NFL and like, just put all my eggs into, uh, lacrosse or just some like up and coming sport that's going to overtake in the next 10 years. And I mentioned lacrosse because I know about some plays. Um, yeah, because I just I don't think I can deal with Baker, Baker Mayfield and Anthony Richardson on the same roster or Will Levis. If Will Levis happens, that might be worse, but we'll get into why we think that might not happen. So, yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think a, a lot of your takes are, are spot on, Murph. It is probably um, a slightly below average draft class a little light on star power, a little light on depth at some positions. I mean, there's some positions that are pretty good there. It's a good, mm. good year. If you need a cornerback, good year, mm. if you need an edge rusher. Um, but yeah, there's some other places where the draft is lacking, you know, not a great year for wide receivers, um, you know, quarterbacks sort of a, a beauty is in the eye of the beholder type of thing, <laughs> you know, as, as we just heard from you, if you're not uh, that high on a couple of these prospects, but I do think as far as every draft is unpredictable, 
But I would sure. say that on a scale of one to 10 with, you know, five and a half or five being the, the typical draft, I would say that um, this is more like a seven or an eight. I do think there is a lot of intrigue with this draft. And, um, you know, Daniel Jeremiah of the NFL Network was saying that when he does his mock, um, normally he can at least be assured that 27 or 28 of the players he has in the first round are going to go in the first round. And he thinks this year he'll be lucky if he gets to 20. Wow. Um, okay. So, yeah, there could be a lot of unexpected names going in the, the back half so, of the draft tonight. So just on that point, because I, I can completely understand that point, because I probably look at this draft class and think there is maybe 18 first-round players by grade, about that number. I mean, I think depending on who you grade and how you grade – you might fluctuate to 22, you might fluctuate down to 16. But I think that's the sort of rate. I'm sort of at 18 is about where I'm at on players who I think would go first round in most most drafts. Um, so and would have a traditional first round grade. So I can I can totally understand that point of we could see some random names because you know traditionally you'd have quite a few DBs, especially safeties. This is an awful safety class. This yes. is probably one of the worst safety classes I've ever seen. I can't, like, you've got one standout player at the top. You've got a couple that are day two guys. And then <laughs> and the floor just goes. Like, I don't think you'll see more than five or six starters out of this class, max. And I think that's really unusual. Um, same goes for interior offensive line poor center class and i think that that's what kind of makes this intrigue and i guess that's right so i think once you get past the first half of this draft in the first round i think it will be interesting because i do think it could be random i think you literally you could see two receivers go in the first round you could see five this really could go any which way and i think that that is the interesting part but i guess i i kind of feel like the first half of this the first round could be quite chalky Maybe yeah, you think, might see a little bit of surprise, but I don't think it's going to be that that nuts. I agree, and I I concur with your estimate on the number of true first rounders. Eighteen sounds about right. Um, like I do think there's enough talent where the second round is going to look pretty good, and there's some interesting yeah. players. But um, you're right about like the the shortage at safety and in the interior of the offensive line. I mean, I know a lot of people have mocked Brian Branch, that one uh, coveted mm. safety. In the 20s, but I'm wondering if if because of the scarcity, if maybe he doesn't go significantly early. And I know that, um, you know, probably none of these centers and uh, guards have first round grades. But there are some teams towards the latter part of the first round. The Giants come immediately to mind that have a major need at center. So it wouldn't surprise me. I Like, I think I have them mocked for a wide receiver, but it wouldn't surprise me if they just decided to take one of the centers um, seizing an opportunity since there are so few good ones and they probably aren't going to last very long. Yeah, that's fair. See, I'm already getting trolled, Pat, by the way. Heard Tampa Bay are trading up for Will Levis. <laughs> Thanks, Stacey. Uh, let's uh, go with no, uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> absolutely no. Uh, dear God, no. <laughs> I, I was listening to a podcast today. Um, I think uh, the former Vikings general manager, Rick Spielman. Spielman. Spielman, he was yeah. he was saying they were talking about building their big boards and their brackets and stuff. He was saying that NFL teams only really tend to have a first round grade on sixteen players, and then past that, it's a it's a bit of a crapshoot. So yeah, I think I think you're both right with that. And it, it's 
it's going to be one of those classes where you said it, Murph, with the centre class being poor and, and the guard class not being poor. And there could be the team that goes after Skronsky as the uh, tackle and says, well, we need a guard desperately. Mm. We think you can play there instead. We're going to take a punt. And because it's that class where risks might need to be done in order to fill positions. It's, wow. It's, it's a... Oh, lost stocks. <laughs> yeah, That's he's fine. right, okay. though. It might be there might be some reason where teams are trying to fill needs and so maybe some guys who were normally be projected in the second or third round could be pushed into the late, late first, early second. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that that could happen. And I think you're going to see some that perhaps the day three picks maybe fall in the day two. And then you'll have some, I think you're going to get some players really fall down boards. I think you're going to have players that mocked at the high end of round two, mid round two, could slide deep into day three or even further because team needs will start to kick in then. And, and because there is so few guys, it is going to be fascinating. I agree on Stronsky, but I don't think he's going to be on the board that long because he is one of those players that is a, he is that good. He is a first round talent. Like I don't see him making it past 15 I, I think he's going to go before then Brian Branch I don't think makes the 20s because he's someone I think Tampa will will snap up they've moved Anton Winfield Jr they haven't signed Logan Ryan there was a big position of need there um, it would depend on tackles I don't like I just don't think Tampa go quarterback I think they're going to go tackle or if Branch is there I, I could totally see them going that way because it is a big position of need they can't pay someone in free agency to come in and play that position and it is a quite an expensive position to fill so I think it's going to be interesting so I don't think he makes the 20s I think unless unless the bucks get a tackle they're desperate for then he could but I don't I don't think so so I think it's it's going to be fascinating we should really break into this and look at this from actually before we do that you're a Packers fan Pat, and there's obviously big news this week before we unpack back to the draft about Aaron Rodgers. Now, I haven't, I've spoken to a lot of Jets fans about this. I haven't spoken to a lot of Packers fans. What's the overall sentiment for you and for Packers Nation about this trade? It's been long in the making. It's been long expected, and now it's finally happened. What is the general feeling for uh, of this trade and, and how you think the compensations worked out for, for the Packers? I think the general feeling, Murph, is that um, most Packers fans are sort of happy to turn the page and, uh, you know, start with a new quarterback. And I think the sensible Packer, Packers fans realize that maybe our Super Bowl window has closed uh, for the time being. And since the Jets appears to be opening, um, it makes sense for us to move on see what we got in this uh, quarterback who, oddly enough, we we drafted just uh, a month or so into COVID back in 2020. I mean, it seems like such a long time ago, and we still don't fully know what we have in Jordan Love yet. Um, I guess I was pleased with the compensation. It was interesting. Um, you know, people were talking about which team had leverage in that negotiation, and I think both teams were woefully short on leverage and it was sort of a, a game of, of chicken. I don't know if that, um, that yeah. phrase carries in England, but it did feel like two cars hurtling headlong toward each other. Who was going to turn first? I think maybe the jets turned first. Um, you know, the Packers obviously didn't want to have 
Aaron Rodgers come back and have this problem with two quarterbacks and, and, you know, not be able to move on and at least see what they have in this first round pick from 2020. Uh, the Jets ready to win now with a Super Bowl caliber defense and just lacking the quarterback to uh, maximize these attractive weapons they have with, with Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson. So um, I think it made sense for both sides, but I was pleased with the compensation. I heard it was sort of maybe one of the hangups had been some sort of protection for the jets against mm-hmm. a uh, retirement for Aaron Rodgers after only one season and the Packers didn't have to make any sort of uh, guarantee like that. The, the only condition on them getting a 2024 first from the Jets is that Rodgers has to play at least 65% of the offensive snaps. So barring some catastrophic injury, mm-hmm. uh, the Packers are going to get a 2024 first. And that sort of puts them in a good position because either Jordan Love is uh, everything they'd hoped he'd be and they're ready to move in boldly into the future with him as their quarterback or He's terrible, um, which which could be the case. And if if that's so, well, they're probably you know going to have a top ten pick for next year, and they're going to have this Jets first round pick, so they're going to have the ammunition in what is tentatively looking like a pretty good draft year for quarterbacks in twenty twenty four to um, you know get their guy if they're convinced it's not going to be Jordan Love. And as far as Jordan Love, I'm I'm sort of I'm a little bit of a skeptic. Um, I was not pleased with that draft pick, to say the least, in 2023. I, I had wished that they had gotten more help for Rodgers or, you know, s- built the defense or something other than a quarterback who they actually traded up to get in that draft. Um, and we've only seen Jordan Love make one start, and it was kind of a catastrophic start. Uh, Aaron Rodgers had COVID in 2021, so in early November – Uh, Love had to make a start against the Chiefs in Kansas City, and the Packers basically squandered one of the better defensive games they've had in the last five years, where they were actually shutting down Patrick Mahomes, Mm. and really all they needed was uh, Jordan Love to string together a couple of completions in the head game to get a big win in Kansas City, and he couldn't do it. Um, His his numbers from that game were pretty miserable. Now, he has had some decent relief appearances. He uh, came into the game late in a blowout loss to the Eagles last year and looked good. But at the same time, the Eagles were up like almost 30 points and playing sort of a soft coverage and um, kind of hard to judge him based on that. So I don't want to be too judgmental on Jordan Love. I admit to skepticism, but I, I you know, we got to give him a bit more uh, of a, a chance to prove himself. Well, three years is a long time. I'm still more shocked that you think that Aaron Rodgers walks into the Jets as the day one starter and he's not having a camp battle with Zach Wilson. How dare well, you? How, Zach, how dare you besmirch the great name of Zach Wilson? Zach Wilson, invested- he did vow that he was going to uh, make things hell on whoever came in. Uh, so, you know, I, I guess uh, Aaron Rodgers will have to win that job in training camp. Yeah, I mean, the, the only way I could see Zach Wilson doing that is either setting his mom loose on Aaron Rodgers or letting down Aaron Rodgers' <laughs> tires. I can't really see how he's going to do that in a quarterback competition. Because um, an interesting stat is that since the 2019 season, no Jets quarterback has thrown uh, uh, more or 10 or more touchdown passes. Wow. Wow. Since 2015, there's no quarterback that has thrown 20 touchdown passes in a season. The last guy to do it for the Jets... Vinny Testaverde? Ryan Fitzpatrick. Oh, that's right. 
Uh, nice Ryan season Fitzpatrick. with, uh, yes, with uh, Eric Decker and Brandon Marshall, I believe, yeah. is his primary in 20, receivers. In 2015. So, yeah. So, last time a Jets QB threw for, for 20 touchdowns or more. So, yeah, they obviously know <laughs> why they're getting in Aaron Rodgers because we've seen enough Zach Wilson. It's probably not a bad thing. Um <laughs> Speaking of draft picks, let's go on to quarterbacks in 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 the draft. Um, it seemed like forever we were going to look at the Stroud, Young. Which way is it going to go? They're clearly going to be one, two, and now we've got all this noise with Will Levis to to Houston. I'm, you know, what are both of your thoughts? Where do you stack up on your evaluation of Levis and these other two quarterbacks? And where, what do you think is going to go down on, on draft night with these guys? I'm skeptical of Levis, but it does appear that the NFL seems to be higher on him than the fantasy community is. Um, you know, I think he's got some mechanical issues, but he does sort of have the Josh Allen starter kit as far as uh, the size, 6'4", 229 pounds, very strong arm, um, good straight line speed. I don't think he is as uh, creative or as elusive a runner as Josh Allen is. Uh, as my fantasy pro colleague Thor Nystrom has said, uh, he has seen Will Levis get crash test dummied quite a bit uh, where he just runs and kind of doesn't move and makes himself a sitting duck for onrushing defenders. Um you know, his pocket presence has been questioned, but it, it does appear at this point that there are uh, there is a demand for him and that he is very likely going to be a top five pick. And um, the, strangely, at the expense of C.J. Stroud, who was thought to be, you know, along with Bryce Young, maybe one of the safest floor prospects. And granted, some people have been questioning how much of it was CJ Stroud and how much of it was, uh, you know, the fact that he has played with some phenomenal receivers. I mean, in 2021, his receivers were Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Jackson Smith and Jigba, who, uh, you know, two terrific first round receivers who made splashes as rookies and a guy who's going to be a first round pick tonight. Um, but I think one of the things that is rumored to be maybe uh, sort of tanking CJ Stroud's draft stock is his poor performance in this S2 test, which is meant to sort of gauge uh, quick processing. And apparently Stroud had a, a very poor score in that. And maybe the NFL teams are taking a hard look at that and wondering if uh, they can trust their future to someone who basically tanked in this test. Um, but we don't know. I mean, that could be smoke and maybe CJ Stroud is a top five pick after all. Um, so that is where these quarterbacks go. That is the primary source of intrigue tonight, because I think we could see any of, well, Bryce Young is going to go number one. That seems to be a near lock at this point. Um, mm. But as for Stroud, Levis and Richardson, um, I think any of them could be top five picks or any of them could fall. And some people think, Richardson, uh, Levis, Stroud could fall out of the top ten, or or maybe even further than that. It's bananas. We we every year we do this. We we look at the draft class coming in and say this is a great draft class. Or, or we or, towards the start of the the seasonal year, as it were, and we think you know Bryce White, Bryce Young, Heisman winner, C.J. Stroud, elite quarterback, and then 
it gets very close to draft day and we start to think, is Bryce Young, you know, he's got this size issue uh, that never proved the problem of Alabama. Uh, CJ Stroud, this new S2 test. I mean, is this the first year it's been done? It's replaced the Wonderlick. Um, see, yeah. he came out and said, you know, I, I don't test well. I'm a football player. I play football. My evidence is on the field and fair play. And it, it's... It's just, I don't know whether it's a think tank thing or whatever. We, I feel like as a community, we try and we get all excited. I think we get overexcited and then we all come down a bit towards draft night. Draft night happens and then we get excited again because as fantasy guys, we can then pick these guys on our rookie drafts and and stuff like that. But I think I think it would be silly for CJ Stroud to fall past two when they need a quarterback. I, I just mm. don't understand why you wouldn't take the surefire prospect of him and Levis of the two. I don't want the guy who only throws a ball at one trajectory. I don't mind how fast it is. If he throws it at one level from start to finish, that's why you get picked off because the corner knows where that ball's going. And I want the guy who is proven to stand in the pocket and slice you from 10 to 80 yards down the field all day. And let's not forget Stroud. Stroud's no slouch here with his arm. No. He's got. He's one of the one of the more accurate quarterbacks when throwing outside the numbers in this class, especially downfield. You know, CJ Stroud has thrown 85 touchdown passes in the last two years. You know, Will Levis threw through 19 last season. <laughs> and we just sit in here thinking, I don't like some points you've just got to go with the talent. And like this is where I don't I don't get it. And and I'm I want to be really careful what I say here because we had this issue a couple of years ago with Justin Fields. Justin Fields was a quarterback who quote unquote slid down boards because there were some issues with him um, and his ability. And and I'm not a big Justin Fields truther, but you can argue that he was definitely pushed further down the board than he probably should have gone. And we have seen this, and it is with certain quarterback profiles, and especially when it comes to certain backgrounds that players come from, that these type of issues tend to permeate and come out of the rough out of the last minute. I remember there being huge outrage about Justin Fields and the way that he was being spoken about days before the draft. And I kind of feel we're getting the similar with, with CJ Stroud. And I, it's a bit uncomfortable because I, I, we don't fully understand what this test is. It is new. The Wonderlick is the Wonderlick. And you can sit there and take as much stock in it or as little in it as you like, but you kind of knew what it was. This new S2 is... It's unknown. None of us have ever seen it. We don't know what it means. Those numbers to people outside of those giving the tests and the NFL organizations don't mean anything. Not really. Until you understand it, until you've got years of data to analyze it. So people saying he's come out with a historically low score. Against what? It would be the question (laughs) I would have. What's the benchmark of a low score? And then, as you say, some people get nervous. They don't test well. You know, he's a football player. Like, I, I can think of a lot of players that you can, people would have questioned their intelligence and how they are and yet come out and absolutely ball out. So yeah. just a, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit worried that, that, that and we, look, we don't know what the results of this are, how far the Stroud fall. I think it would be, I think it'd be mind blowing that he fell past four. I think it'd be mighty. 
It'd be mind blowing. Yeah, cool. it's an interesting point you make about the testing and, and us not knowing about it when there was a test that was there for all of us to see, and it was CJ Stroud against the Georgia defense in the college <laughs> football right. playoffs last year. A, a Georgia defense that is going to put you know multiple uh, players into the first round tonight, and um, you know Stroud picked that defense apart for, I, I forget what the numbers were, 340 yards and four touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, he looked terrific in that game and um, didn't have uh, a, like overwhelming firepower at wide receiver. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I agree. I, I don't think he should slide out of the top five, but um, yeah. And, and maybe that's the, maybe he will go in the top four after all. And, and we'll, look back at the S2 episode as being some pre-draft silliness, but um, mm. yes, all of those questions to be answered soon. And I'm very eager to see how NFL teams regard CJ Stroud. I, so I have a question for you both and it's about, it's about Anthony Richardson and Will Lewis together. If you were a GM and you, and you've evaluated these players Forget need. What do you believe these players in most years would be a first round draft pick on talent? Stocks. I <clears throat> I think Will Levis. It was it was Levis and Richardson, right? You yeah. asked about. Yeah, I think Levis would be. I think he'd be a late first round quarterback and a team that didn't necessarily need a quarterback to start. I think he'd possibly be a late first round quarterback purely on I think he's I think he has problems but I think sitting behind the right coaching staff could could see Will Levis be a, a starter in the NFL I think Richardson I think he's this draft class and this generation of fan experience and everything we're in now with the hype train of social media and everything I think Richardson's combined performance he could have never played football at Georgia did what he did at the combine and still received the hype because let's be honest the football he played at Florida sorry was like it was not good Murph right there isn't a Gators fan out there that thinks Richardson's a good quarterback and he played in a good a good conference so the conference of the NFL was better than college football we all know that because the best players from college play in the NFL and I think there's just been some sort of crazy explosion where Richardson's being talked about as a top five pick. I I wouldn't even consider drafting him in, in in the first two rounds unless I could see a path where I had the best coaching tree to get out of him. I just don't think he'd be better off declaring as a running back. <laughs> So I agree with your take that I think both of these guys, just because of the physical tools, would be first rounders, uh, even in a better year for quarterbacks. Um, I already kind of gave you my take on Levis and I'm, uh, you know, not all that optimistic about his NFL future. I think I'm much more optimistic than the two of you are about Anthony Richardson um, like, I think if you divide his final year at Florida into two halves, I think the first half was indeed pretty alarming. Um, and then he made pretty significant strides in the second half of that season. I know people are going to look at the completion percentage, 53.8%. <laughs> I mean, that's horrid. 
And um, he does have to learn touch because he has a bad habit of rocketing short throws that just require touch. Um, And I don't think he's ready to play right away. I I think he's going to have to like sit for at least, uh, you know, four or five, two, three years. (laughs) But um, (laughs) 10 years. (laughs) The starter kit is pretty impressive, though, with his speed, size, arm strength. And, you know, I have talked to Matt Waldman about this of, of football guys and Matt Waldman puts out the exhaustive rookie scouting portfolio, which has, you know, detailed in-depth scouting reports based on his extensive film study of these players. And he makes the case that while Richardson does lack playing experience with only one real season as a college starter, he doesn't think Um, that Richardson is necessarily conceptually unskilled. He thinks that he does some things as far as like pocket management and the way he looks off, not just safeties, but, um, you know, linebackers too and cornerbacks. Like some of the things he does are actually pretty advanced. And um, he has talked to the quarterbacks coach of Anthony Richardson, who is also the quarterbacks coach of Brock Purdy. And he thinks Richardson has a lot of the um, sort of whiteboard expertise that Purdy has. And and he thinks that, you know, Richardson might be able to adapt to the NFL a lot more quickly than people believe. So I do think those are tools worth taking a chance on. Um, Agree, though, that it could go any which way with Richardson. I mean, I think he could be a star or I think he could be a a colossal bust. Uh, Yeah, I (laughs) I'm so much lower than both of you on both of these players. For me, Will Levis is a third round player. Like, I don't understand. I don't under Yeah, we're looking at physical toolkits, right? How many times have we seen a player with a physical toolkit come into the NFL and not be good? Is it happens most years. Quite a bit. Most years it happens. We get a guy, Zach Wilson's a great example. Great physical toolkit. Horrific quarterback in the NFL. Just It's just these things that just... And I get that Will Levis is a bigger guy. And I get he's got that frame. And people sitting there copying him to Josh Allen. It's insulting to Josh Allen. Josh Allen had a very decent college career. Will Levis, it, when he was playing guys... When he was playing teams that weren't in the Power Five, looked pretty good. He looked a pretty, pretty decent quarterback. When he's playing teams in the Power Five, all these numbers just completely fell through the roof, uh, like through the floor. Like you're talking about his touchdown rate halved, his completion percentage dropped six, seven points. The guy was sacked on over 30% of his pressures. Like an NFL coach is not going to sit there and accept the fact that Will Levis takes sacks. It's just not going to happen. So he's either got to unlearn, he's got to learn not to take sacks or he's not going to play much because they're not going to take that loss of yardage. You just can't overcome that against how good the defense side in the NFL Anthony Richardson was better off staying a year. Like, someone must have told him, hey, you're going to test so well at the Combine, you're going to go in the top 10. And someone's told him that and thought, great, I'll go in the top 10. And financially, it's going to work out. And in the short term, it will. Financially, in the short term, Anthony Richardson is going to do all right. But in the long term, he's probably not. Because unless he that he is he's probably the most landing-dependent player in this draft, because if he goes and lands somewhere where he's not going to co- coached or developed, he's done. 
He's not going to get any further down the road. And we're looking at Carl Trask was a very similar player who was a much better college quarterback. And he unfortunately landed in a landing spot that on paper went, oh, well, this looks good. He'll play under Tom Brady for two years. He'll learn from the go and then he'll take over. Well, clearly the fact that they've signed Baker Mayfield says that they're not happy with his development. So clearly he didn't get that coaching and he went to a team that was all in only focused on winning now, was not thought focused on winning for the future and didn't think to really either develop this guy or they did and he's not taken it the way that he should have done. It's hard to know what goes on behind the scenes. Anthony Richardson could very easily fall the same way. And I think unless he lands, like imagine Anthony Richardson going to, I don't know, like for me, he needs to go somewhere like the Rams where he's going to get, it's not going to happen because he's not going to fall that far down the board. But that would be the landing spot for me where I think, He's got half a chance to succeed. He's got a quarterback in Matt Stafford who would probably take him aside, who would probably coach him and develop him and would help him out as much as possible. But he's not going to fall that far. He's not going to fall. I mean, that's where I think his value is. I'm with you that his physical traits and moldability, there is something there. And I would put him at the top of the second from a, a... a sort of grading perspective because I think there is that natural upside of if you can unlock and coach and develop the player, there's something there. But I just think he's going to have to sit for two years before. And, he, and then, and if he goes at four, he's going to have to start. Like you can't drop, like he might not start week one, but he's going to have to start by the bye week because the pressure on the fan base will be on him for to start because He's going fourth overall. Like you, yep. you don't see many of these guys going in the top four sitting, you know, that long. People gonna use the Patrick Mahomes scenario, but he was picked outside the top ten, you know, and that he was right. playing behind a former number one overall quarterback. You know, he's gonna be playing behind Gardner Minshew, who I like Gardner Minshew, and I think he's perfectly capable of starting in the NFL, and I think he could start the whole season for Indianapolis, but he's a sixth round player. And that's how about how people will view it. You know, yeah, rightly or wrongly, that's how people would view it. It's a great point about landing spots. And unfortunately, some of the best places for him to go where he could work with a, a quarterback whisperer like Sean McVay, mm-hmm. uh, Doug Peterson, Frank yeah. Reich, he's not going to any of those places, unfortunately. You know, and the places he could go where, um, you know, somewhere like maybe the Raiders or something. I, I don't personally think the Raiders are going to take him, but like that would seemingly be a good spot because he yeah. would be able to learn for a year behind Jimmy Garoppolo. But at the same time, uh, I know that probably working with Josh McDaniels would not be like best for his development. And Matt Waldman told a story about that, where apparently like as soon as Josh McDaniels got to Denver, uh, like after he had his first meeting with Jay Cutler, Jay Cutler like went to his agent and was like, get me out of here, get me out of here now. Like he, he just didn't want to work with Josh McDaniel. So like, hopefully he does land in a spot where he could, you know, sit for a while, um, have a, a decent quarterback guru somewhere who could work with him. But um, that's the thing. I mean, we, we sometimes make the mistake of thinking that these players uh, with raw but intriguing skill sets are going to get coached up in the NFL. And that's sort of not how it works. Cause I mean, the NFL, coaches are busy going about the business of, of game planning and trying to win games. And like, it's, it's not really, uh, you know, they're college professors. They're not grade school teachers. They, they want players who already have the skills in place. And now we're going to deploy you in, in this way and working with them on that. They don't want to work with these guys on fundamentals. Yeah. You know, they're, they're fine from taking a solid foundation 
to acclimatizing in the NFL and developing that toolkit. And if that takes six weeks, eight weeks, maybe a season, you go fair enough. But yeah, you don't have these guys because what's the turnover life of what's the life expectancy of a coach in the NFL? It's like two or three years. They don't have that time. You know, if they don't get, and especially when the pressure comes on a, a first round quarterback, you don't get that guy playing. He's done. Like the coaches in most cases is done. You know, there's a rare example where you've got Jordan Love, but you know, it's understandable. He's sitting behind Aaron Rodgers. And I don't think that Matt LaFleur probably wanted Jordan Love. I don't think if you'd said to him, you can have, who do you want in the first round of the 2020 draft? I don't think he's saying Jordan Love because he knows he hasn't got the time. I mean, it's worked out fine because he won a lot of games early with Aaron Rodgers, two playoff runs, two championship runs. He's, you know, he's he's got credit in the bank, 313 win seasons. So he's got enough credit to, to have lasted to the Jordan Love experiment, we're going to call it now. But most of these coaches, you know, if it doesn't work, I mean, we just look back to Matt Nagy and Justin, you know, Justin Fields didn't work year one. He's gone. And the GM's right. gone. Ryan Pace right. is gone. I mean, you, because they, you, they did. They drafted they must, They drafted Mitch Trubisky. That didn't work. The franchise gave him, right, you can have one more go, which is rare. They very rarely get to draft two first-round quarterbacks. So they get the chance with Justin Fields to maneuver the, to move up to get him and use future capital to get him. And it hasn't worked. I mean, I'm not saying it won't long term, but ultimately it didn't work in that season and, and they're gone. And that's, you don't have that luxury to train these players up. And so while people would be thinking Anthony Richardson, what a guy he could be, look at how he tested in his underwear at the, at the combine. <laughs> ultimately, he's so far away from being an NFL player that coaches aren't going to love him as much as the general public and those that are, are fans of this process will, because it's a bit of a liability to a coach, especially if he gets drafted. Now, if he gets drafted in the second round, you've got that covered, like Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is a great example of a player who wasn't quite ready to play in the NFL immediately, but it probably wasn't that far away. Got a bit of time, sat behind Carson Wentz, got coaching from Doug Pedersen, as you say, learned the NFL, all of a sudden elevates up, goes to the Super Bowl. You know, and that's where getting that second round pick. We saw it with Dak Prescott sitting behind Tony Romo. You know, this is where you have these scenarios of players that don't go in the first round, that expectations taken away, that gives them that time to to learn and to get better. And if it doesn't work, it's not on the hat of the coach. Like, no one's going to sit here and look at Carl Trask and think, oh, well, the, they've, they failed to develop him, therefore they should go. It's, well, he was the 64th pick. Bit of a luxury pick for a Super Bowl winning champion. Yeah, got it, didn't work, fine, move on. Because they haven't blown the capital of, of a first-round pick. And I think that's where it wouldn't shock me if Anthony Richardson slid or whatever we're saying, because I think whilst GMs might love him, I, coaches, I think, will see him as a liability. Yeah. But we'll see. We, uh, that's what tonight is. One of, one of those players that you just talked about, Murph, where they not don't necessarily go early, they go to a team, is, is Hendon Hooker. Obviously, there's been first-round hype for him. With his injury and his age, Murph, we all know how you feel about Hendo. Pat, what, what, <laughs> I don't how... know. I don't know if that's fair, but yeah, okay. Uh, no, well, I mean, feel free to voice your concerns on Hendon Hooker now before Pat tells us what he thinks could happen. But Hendon Hooker is <laughs> the same, that sort of vein, Murph, where somebody could take him late round one, early round two, and he could sit behind someone, someone like Geno Smith at Seattle, for instance, 
that would be a good landing spot for him because Gino's been signed for three years now. It gives Hendon time to rehab and and then potentially maybe take over. Well, Gino has been signed for three years, but effectively there's a get out in in one year that is not horrific for Seattle. Like on paper, it looks great. Actually, in reality, Gino is in a prove it year. He just got a very nice prove it deal with some more guaranteed money. But realistically, he's not a bad contract. It, for, for Gino Smith, who's been in the league for so long, like fair play, he's done very well to get any sort of deal. So yeah. to get that, like fair enough. My concern with Hendon Hooker is his age and the injury. And the two combined just don't work. I don't think you can take Hendon Hooker in the first round. And people talk about this fifth-year option and taking the fifth-year option on a quarterback. Again, the pressure of that, that of being a first-round pick is just too much. You required to have that work sooner rather than later. Hendon Hooker is not going to play this year because he's not going to be available. A, a report's come out to say saying he'll be ready for week one. Great. Let's say, best case scenario, he's ready for week one. So he's missed rookie camp, uh, you know, training camp. He's missed preseason. So all the time that he gets to learn the playbook and learn how to be a quarterback in the NFL and get some reps with the starters and the first team, he's not having. So he gets to the season. Let's say he's ready week one. He's on the scout team. So he's not playing with – he's not going to get any snaps with – the starters or with the first team he's not going to get any with the seconds because you need to have your second you know, your backup quarterback ready to go so effectively he's on scout team and he's playing with practice squad players that's not going to help him acclimatize to the nfl so you can't take hendon hooker in year one and put him in a starting scenario so you have to write off his first year completely because he's not going to have any enough exposure to be ready and you can't take a guy like that in the first round i think the danger of of that i think we saw was it jeffrey simmons i think for the titans where they took a they took him but knowing he was going to miss most of his rookie season in year one but he was an exceptional talent i don't think you can say that about hendon hooker hendon hooker's coming in the nfl 25 he's going to miss most of his year 25 season he's going to be 26 almost 27 where for his sophomore rookie of his sophomore season he's not going to have developed anything on the field to suggest he should start so he's going to have to start his 26, 27 year as a backup and hope he gets an opportunity. That's just too old. We've seen these quarterbacks come in like Chris Winkie, who have come in much later in life. And they just, by the time you get up to speed in the NFL, he's going to be 30. And at, at that point, he's already at the tail end of his career. Um, that's my only concern. I have to say, lovely guy, brilliant character brilliant locker room guy the kind of guy you would love if he was three years younger i would sit here and say he's got every potential to be successful in the nfl but three years is a long time i don't think you can with that injury and missing all the year one i just think you're asking for you're asking for that pick to come and burn you again take him in the second round and it develops and it works out then great. And if it doesn't, it hasn't cost your franchise a notary pick. And I think you can get away with it. But I don't think the fifth-year option gives you enough cover to, yeah. to take that pick and it not work. To your point, he is older than Tua, who has been in the league for three years. And I think he's only five months younger than Kyler Murray, who's been in the league for four years already. Mm. And um, yeah, also, he does not have the exotic 
tools kit that um, Will Levis and Anthony Richardson bring to the table. He's got a, a good arm. Um, he's you know somewhat mobile, uh, not as good an arm as Richardson or Levis, not as mobile as Richardson or Le- definitely not as mobile as Richardson. Um, and I, I think my concern, and I know this concerns uh, Thor Nystrom, our, our fantasy pros college evaluator, um, is, is that he played in Josh Heupel's offense and mm-hmm. Josh Heupel bisects the field, literally bisects the field for his quarterback. So they only have to read half the field. And that's yeah. a major problem. And, and Josh Heupel was the play caller at the University of Missouri when Drew Locke was coming up. <laughs> and, you know, it, it was Heupel's system that helped uh, trick NFL evaluators into thinking that <laughs> Drew Locke was a, a valid NFL prospect. So, um, yes, I have those concerns. It's going to be interesting, though. I've seen him mocked as early as 12 to the Texans. Um, I've seen him mocked to Seattle with their second pick at, at 20. Um, I, I think he could fall out of the second round if no one's completely sold on him, yeah. but maybe someone trades into the back half to try to get the, uh, the ability to maybe have him for five years and stretch out that window. But um, yeah, he is going to be one of the more interesting guys to uh, follow in this draft. Cause I don't think he should be a, a first round pick, but maybe NFL teams feel differently. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. I think, yeah, and again, I look at the five quarterbacks and I think outside of Bryce Young, probably the best character, the best spirit, determination, leadership um, qualities from what I've seen on field and and how they, and, and like all of those intangibles are great. And again, if he was three years younger, I could, you could oversee some of the traits knowing that you can give him time to develop into his reading, his processing, and all of those elements. But he doesn't have time. That's the biggest issue is he doesn't have time because this year's a write-off. And then you're looking at, at future years. He just doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have that time that a 21-year-old prospect like Anthony Richardson is going to have. You know, you could sit Richardson for two years or three years if you need to. You sat Jordan Love for that long because you could. He's old, He's young enough to where you can absorb that. But yeah, we'll have to see what, what happens. Um, we're getting, I, I'm curious to look at this uh, running back class. Is there anyone, um, obviously Bijan's getting all the love in this class and, and rightfully so. Every model he's breaking, he's, uh, you know, he's generational talent is what we're hearing <laughs> and seeing in, in, in every, in everything that we read about him. 
we think he's going to go tonight. It wouldn't shock anyone if he did. Where where do you see him going, guys? Like, do you see him going like early? Do you see him going late first? Like, do we think that he's a player that is going to be taken significantly earlier than in most other years because of the lack of first round graded talent? And and Bijan Robinson is one of those players. I would say is definitely a first round talent. I tend to think he is going to go top ten. Um, I, I know that is no longer sort of the uh, the paradigm for drafting running backs, that there are a few who go that early. It's not like, uh, you know, when Leonard Fournette was drafted fourth or, or Saquon was drafted, what, second? Um, like that is no longer uh, as commonplace. But I do think he's pretty special. I think you can make the case that it's worth – passing up the opportunity cost to take someone at a higher leverage position. I guess on the flip side, you could look at it as, you know, granted running backs do have a short life expectancy in the NFL and that is part of why they are sort of devalued. But if you um, want to build around a cheap running back who has a four year window and assuming these guys do have shorter life cycles than uh, most players at other positions, um, to get an extraordinary player who you have cost controlled for four or five years, um, I guess there's a case for it. And I, I do think Bijan is a pretty exceptional player and probably the best running back prospect we've seen since Barkley. Mm. I think it's, he's one of those players where it doesn't really matter where he lands. He's good enough to either push out who's there in a committee or just take over the job. So it's not as if I don't know if he goes top 10. I completely understand what you're saying, Pat. And if a team is pretty close offensively, just needs a running back inside, you know, the top 15 and punches Bijan's ticket, then I can see it because like you say, it's controlled money for the next few years. But I just, the way running backs are now valued in the NFL, I can see him sliding. He's going to go round one because as you say, Murph, he's, he's generational I hate using that term, but he is mm. as good as anyone has come out since Saquon. And and we, and we, I think he, he deserves to go early because he is one of, if not the best offensive weapon in this draft class. It's just how the NFL values running backs. And, you know, I could see Atlanta taking him. I could see 100%. the Eagles taking him, you know. And no, I don't. I don't I just, see that one on the Eagles. I don't. I Atlanta, absolutely. Um, Chicago. I think it'd be stupid given how many holes they have on their <laughs> roster, but I absolutely could see that. I could see that as something that they would do. Atlanta, absolutely. Don't forget, this is a team that had many needs and took Kyle Pitts at four. So with this GM and this uh, this head coach, so they're quite clearly knowing their talent poor on offense, they would roll the dice here. I would definitely think that both those teams are in play. I don't see the Eagles... Uh, going there, I think they're quite happy with Rashad Penny and, and what they've got. And they're not a team that historically have had a you know a, a running back that they've given all the workload to. They prefer to run through committees, and they prefer, and that is how they're going to roll. And I think I could definitely see the Eagles taking a running back in this draft, but I can't see them using a pick in the first round to do that. The Texans, it wouldn't shock me. The Jets, it would. You know, and then you're starting to get into territory in the mid first where he could go anywhere. Um, 
as he a could go to Tennessee. He could go to Tennessee. Like that wouldn't shock me if if yeah. they drafted him. Dallas, yeah, that would depend Cincinnati. on the quarterbacks of one. Yeah, Dallas, Cincinnati look look. Uh, even New Orleans, given the Kamara suspension, come in. I w- I think they're more likely to go wide receiver if if one of the big five are on there, but. Again, if they're all taken off the ball and get shuffled up early and, and New Orleans are left without a dance partner and, and somehow Bijan's still there at 29, <laughs> that wouldn't shock me at the at the end of the day. I think I think there's a lot of teams that would that would take him and I don't think they're worried about the cost because I think w- we know that we know what he is and we know what he can do. And ultimately if you've got a run game in the NFL and you can you can pound the rock you're going to win football games. And that ultimately for the coaches, there's going to be, I guarantee you there's going to be 20 coaches tonight. They're going to be pounding the table that their team drafts Bijan Robinson because especially on the offensive side, because you're going to win football. He's going to win football games. Like you're going to win football games with Bijan Robinson. The only reason why Barkley looks a bit of a riskier pick and why it hasn't translated into the success that you would have hoped is he's been injured a lot. That's the only risk I think you're seeing with Bijan. Uh, is if he gets injured and gets injured, that pick doesn't doesn't naturalize into the wins that you would hope. But yeah, I, I think I don't see him lasting past fifteen in this draft. I think he goes he goes early because you're going to win football games with him. Is is there a, a situation where past Bijan being drafted, Gibbs or Charbonnet goes to a situation that is so good for them they tap on the one hundred and one doors in rookie drafts for Bijan? I don't think so. No. I don't think there's a chance. Um, no. You know, and Charbonnet is, I, I think, you know, I don't think there's any possibility he goes in round one. Same. Gibbs possibly could. I think he's mm. being mocked to, in the first round and probably a majority of mock drafts. And I think it's, it's um, you know, minus money that he goes in the first round. I tend to be skeptical of that. He would be the first sub 200 pound running back to go in the first round since Javid Best in 2010. Wow. And um and he's also not a probably not a true three down back. Uh I, I think he's you know no. could excel in that Camara role where he uh has under 200 carries but is targeted frequently in the passing game. I think that's probably the optimal usage for him, but I a little skeptical that he goes in the first round. I like him though. I mean, I think he's going to be a talented player and I'd like to see him land in a good spot. I just, I don't know if he gets drafted tonight. If he does, it's 30 or 31. Yes. Because I I actually weirdly think he's a better fit for the Eagles system. As you say, he's not a three down back. So I think for the Eagles, he's a better fit than Bijan would be, which is weird because you would normally say, talent prevails but actually when you think about systems and i think the same goes with the chiefs i think i look at the chiefs and think actually they're so talent poor wide receiver if those if you see five receivers go in the first round i can 100 percent see them taking gibbs and thinking well we'll use him as a bit of a weapon to you know with us with him and kelsey they'll work on that short to medium range uh target field and then you know they'll run with sky Moore and um MVS as the deep threats, and I think they could they could definitely do something like that. Uh, and Andy Reid is a coach that's good enough because you look at what they've got. Ceh is down the pecking order, not great in the receiving game. Um, and Pacheco, similar, more of a downhill runner, not the best receiver. He's not bad, but he's not. That's not his specialty. Whereas I think there's a role there for Gibbs to 
to get out wide, you could run with two running back sets, which I know the Chiefs have run at times. Um, we know, we've seen them with two tight end sets. They might dip a little bit more and it'd be a bit more fluctuating in in how they structure their offense. So I could, I could see Gibbs going there, but I, I agree with you. I don't think he's picked, he's going higher than twenty nine, and yeah, that's if Cincy want to take him. So if he does, I mean, I could, I wouldn't shock me that if he went, but I'm with you. I'd I'd say odds against he probably. Yeah, I think at top around two. The earliest I think would be like Dallas, but I don't think Dallas takes him. I, I think, think he and too. he and Pollard are too overlapping with their skill sets. But mm-hmm. I, I do agree with you that he and uh, Pacheco I think would be complementary in the backfield together. You just wonder if uh, the Chiefs feel burned by having taken taken Ceh with the final pick of the first round a few years ago and having that uh, turn out you know colossally bad. Yeah, that's fair, and I think that's what we'll see. And then. Yeah, Charbonnet, I think we'll see what happens. And then I think the rest of that running class is... <laughs> yeah, a lot of guys... I mean, that's the thing. I, I think there are about 20 possible guys who could pan out and turn out to be really good. I mean, I, I definitely have some of my favorites, like as day three or day late day two possibilities. But um, mm-hmm. it, it you run out of sure things pretty quickly after Bijan and maybe Gibbs and Charbonnet. Yeah, it, it definitely starts to tail off. There's not... As you say, there's a lot of dart throws. It would not shock. It would not shock me to see some of these guys. And you think, oh, how do they fall that like? Well, yeah. it's, just, it's what I'd say is a lot of dudes drafts. There's a lot of dudes. There's not a lot of studs. There's a lot of dudes. Yes. And I think there's a lot of dudes here that that can break out, and we won't break through all of them. But I think when you're thinking about rookie drafts, I think you're looking at those running backs. I don't think Charbonnet is a super flex. No chance. In a in a one QB depends on the depends on his draft capital. If he goes high enough in the second, I think he could squeak into first round of rookie drafts. But it also wouldn't shock me to see him in second round of, of rookie drafts. And, but the other two, absolutely, I think in a in a one, I think Bijan's the one hundred one in all formats. I, I don't think Great. it matters whether it's super flex, whether it's. Titan premium, whatever it format it is, Bijan is the 101. And then I think, you know, Gibbs can go, he'll go high in a one QB, he'll go mid first, late first in the in a in a super flex. Agreed. Murph, you mentioned receivers. How many do you guys think are gonna go in round one? And if you think a lot are, who of those are potentially overvalued in your in your eyes? I think the ones who could go in the first round, um, well, Jackson Smith and Jigba will. I mean, he's mm-hmm. the one mortal lock. Um, yeah. And then I think it's likely that Zay Flowers and Jordan Addison go, mm-hmm. and pretty likely that Quentin Johnston goes. I mean, it's a, a class full of smaller uh, slot receivers and flankers, and Quentin Johnston does have the body type to be an X receiver. And, a, a you know, like his hands are a, a major issue. Um, you know, that that could eventually tank his NFL career. But, I mean, I, he does have traits, um, and I think those traits probably get him into the first round. And then there's some guys who are, are possibilities. I, I don't think Jalen Hyatt goes, but we know NFL teams are obsessed with speed. Um, Hyatt's kind of a one-trick pony, but he does that trick very well. Um, and, uh, boy, there's – I might be forgetting about some – one of the other receivers who could I be forgetting about? I, I think it's those four. Um, yeah. I, well, you got Hyatt. So you, yeah, they're, they're the five I would, I would have is Addison, 
Johnston, Smith and Nigba, uh, Zay Flowers, and yeah, yeah, they're they're the ones there. Most likely four, I would think. Yeah, Hyatt Hyatt is one I can see going to say New Orleans. So I think if the other four go early, and this could happen, right? It might not, might happen. Then I can see Hyatt getting in to say, I, I, I just think that's a natural fit for what they're trying to do, and they're so talent poor on offense. I just think that 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 works, but. I think there's not many other situations where I look at Jalen Hyatt and think, I don't see him going to Kansas City. I don't see him going to Philadelphia. So I think, you know, we're looking at, I don't see him going to Cincinnati. So he, he is one of these players. If he's going to go, he's going to need th- some things to go his way for him to go. Um, I think, yeah, I, I think you, there's some interesting thing about Quinton Johnston has not been invited to night one of the draft, um, which historically if you've not been invited says that you're more than likely not going to be a first round pick so that is a concern to me because i do think he's a first round pick talent i think he's a good receiver i think he has the potential to be a great receiver so if all that is shaking out to be true and he's not been invited that says to me that unless something monumental happens nfl teams don't see him as a first round pick so realistically, you could go anywhere from two to if the world breaks right five, I and I think it will land around three, and I think you'll look at Addison Flowers and Smith and Nickman. I think they'll be the three that will go tonight, and then I I personally would take Johnston. I think I would have him, and then if he went high enough, then Hyatt could be in the realm. But I I think it's going to be three tonight. Will go, and then I think those other two will go very high. On day two, I think they'll be gone by pick 45, pick 50 tops. I don't think we're going to be waiting around for those guys to come off the board. Uh, Same with Charbonnet. I think he's gone by pick 50, 55. He'll be gone by that sort of range uh, because the drop from him down is massive. So I think, you know, these players will go. And the same with, with whoever doesn't get drafted tonight out of those five will go early because the drop to the Tillmans, the Rice, the Mims of these worlds is just too great. It's too great. And I and I like all of those players. I really like Tillman. I think Tillman is undervalued. I think he's a sneaky uh, value for teams if he falls low enough. But I, you know, there are some concerns as there is with Rice, as there is with Mims. You know, all these players have huge question marks about them that maybe the top five guys don't. I'll, I'll add one more long shot wide receiver who could possibly go. I know Peter Schrager of the NFL Network had a mock draft where he was mocked to the Saints, and that's Jonathan Mingo of wow. uh, the University of Mississippi, who it seems as if the NFL is far more excited about him than dynasty managers are because Mingo never had a thousand yard season at Ole Miss. He was the uh, second on the team in receiving last year but he does have a big body um he is a you know nfl teams do value blocking in their wide receivers and mango is a very willing blocker but he is big and he is uh well built to deal with press coverage and he is one of the toughest receivers after the catch just to tackle and get on the ground that i've seen since anquan bolden um, and he's, I think he had the second biggest hands. He's like, I want to say he's like six, one, two, twenty something. He's a big dude, 
big hands and uh, ran like a four four six at the combine. Like Anquan Bolden was a four seven runner, and Mingo is actually fast. Um, mm. So, like whether he can separate, I think at the NFL level, like that's mainly the knock on him that he is not an elite separator or wasn't in college. But um, I think. It, NFL teams like everything else about him. I don't think he goes in the first round. I think it's definitely no. a long shot, but I do think he's going to go in the second. And, um, you know, I'm kind of intrigued that one of his uh, visits pre-draft was with the Steelers. And uh, that is a team that knows what they're doing when it comes to drafting mm-hmm. wide receivers. So if they're interested in Mingo, maybe we should be interested in Mingo too. That's definitely fair. I'm going to throw two more receiver names that really interest me. One, I think, will definitely go in the second round, and that's Tyler Scott. Again, you've said it, the NFL's obsessed with speed. He was the fastest receiver at the Combine. He ran a, a you know a low 4-2. Four, four um, I think he's a perfect fit for what the Chiefs need and what the Chiefs are desperate for, <laughs> a real separator and game-breaker, especially when you look at Tyreek Hill going. Um, and I've read some uh, interesting insights from the Athletic and guys on the beat there they definitely feel that there's a lot of love in that room for Tyler Scott. Again, don't think he goes round one unless, you know, they decide to break the internet tonight. But I do think I would look at him at pick 63 and think that that is a mortal lock if he's not there, uh, if he's not already gone off the board. And then I think the most interesting receiver to watch on day two is, is Kayshawn Booty. He could literally go, he could go high 30s or he could go undrafted. He could literally fall anywhere on the map depending on how people view him because mm-hmm. he he's probably the most divisive receiver in this draft. I think it's probably fair to say, but I think he's got interesting character uh, characteristics that will make him a successful uh, NFL wide receiver, but it's, is he going to deliver that? And is anyone going to fall in love with him enough to take him? So I think he's a really interesting guy where he could go. Cause again, I could see him going round two. I could see him going round seven. It really is that wide a variance as to where he could go. He he intrigues me more than anybody about where oh, he could land. Because it could be good as his. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, his first two years at LSU were spectacular. Well, yeah. first season and a half because he got hurt midway yeah. through his sophomore season. But he was uh, really exciting. And he's one of those guys who, even though he doesn't test well, um, I know that Matt Waldman compared him to like Jarvis Landry and Robert Woods. Guys who are just good receivers and are good at getting open, even if they are not, uh, you know, even if they don't test especially well. Yeah. So it's well, going to be an interesting time. Yeah. Uh, Butte is like the forgotten talent of this draft class started really hot, like Pat said. And then he could be so good in the NFL. And he's, he's one of the guys I'm sort of rooting for to to improve as he gets into, into the big leagues. Tight end class. People have been drumming on about this tight end class now as being superb for well, as long as there's been draft talk. It's been this is the best tight end class, and the tight ends in this class are fantastic. Do we think more than two tight ends go round one? Um, and and who's your favorite to maybe not go round one but be be effective in the NFL? I think it's probably going to be exactly two with uh, mm-hmm. Michael Mayer of Notre Dame and um, Dalton Kincaid of Utah. And I think it's believed that Mayer is sort of the all-around player. The comparison has been Jason Witten, which, uh, you know, Witten had an amazing career and was productive mm-hmm. for more than a decade. Um, and then Kincaid, who I think people see as more of a pure pass-catching tight end, not really a blocker, but 
he's a really good pass catcher. And, uh, you know, some people are saying he could go as early as 13 to Green Bay. Um, I don't know if anyone else sneaks in. Darnell Washington of Georgia, who's actually the second best tight end uh, on Georgia um, ne- next year. I mean, absolute first round Brock Bowers is is going to be yeah. uh, early first round pick next year. I mean, he was Top the best. Ten. Yeah, tight end, best tight end in college football without question. But Washington is just enormous, uh, 6'7", 270 pounds, and I think he ran a 4'4", something. And then they showed uh, like video clips of him moving a blocking sled around like uh you know it was a like a parcel delivery man uh just walking around with you know other guys were struggling to move the blocking sled like three feet and darnell washington was like where do you want it um so he could maybe sneak in but apparently he's got sort of an old foot injury that maybe has a Mm. team's a bit scared of him luke musgrave is another one he's had some injury issues but he is uh nearly six, seven and runs like a gazelle. And some people think that maybe he has the most pass catching upside, uh, maybe even, you know, as much as, as Kincaid has, but he's also dealt with a lot of injuries uh, during his college career. So I don't think, I don't no. think he goes in the first round, although he's been mocked there in a few spots. That's and, crazy. Um, no yeah. And that's it. And a guy I like who's under the radar a bit is Sam Laporta of Iowa. Love Sam Laporta. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's just really a, a, gamer and he's great after the catch and i think he's a good pass catcher really good track record at iowa with george kittle noah fant um well, they PJ built tight Hawkinson. ends yeah yes. that's what i mean they tight ends in iowa and uh great i, mean, those, I think right up there with breaking tackles as well last year yeah and at least those other iowa tight ends played in functional offenses i mean iowa's offense last year was one of the worst in college football mm-hmm. and sam laporta still managed to have like six nearly 700 receiving yards and uh you know was far and away their best weapon on offense and uh you know wherever he goes i think he's going to uh enjoy playing with a quarterback who can actually throw a decent spiral and mm-hmm. uh has a chance of hitting him in the numbers because he didn't get that in college yeah, I like the poor. I think he's uh, he's an awesome talent. I'm a big, big fan of him. Um, yeah, the, it's a great tight end class. I think you could see as many as 10 or 12 get drafted. Yeah. Which, and, and... which is mad for tight ends. You would never see this many tight ends get drafted. But there is, there's a lot of really good players. You're going to see a lot go day, end of day two, day yes. three. Um, Schoonmaker of Michigan is one that pops to mind. Uh Strange of Penn State is another one. Um, Zach Koontz, just because he impressed so well. I mean, oh, he's an athletic yeah. marvel. So, yeah, there could be – we could see maybe up to, like, seven going by the end of day two. Yeah, that really could happen. Like, it, it's it's phenomenal how deep this class is in terms of uh, – it's just a shame it's a position that doesn't impact fantasy football all that much. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's fun to watch in real life. So, yeah, I, I think I – think, we're in an interesting space with tight ends in, in, in the NFL where you've got a, a lot of guys, but you haven't got a lot at the top end, the elite. And there is room for these guys to come in and after a year or two really break into having great careers because there's opportunities. There's a lot of teams that don't have one good tight end, let alone two. Um, you know, there's a lot of these teams that, that could do with drafting a tight end. So I think it's, yeah, there's definitely a strong need in the NFL for, 10 plus tight ends to be drafted this year and I think a lot of them can contribute I don't think a lot of them are fantasy worthy but I think a lot of them are going to contribute in the NFL 
Do we do we think there's going to be any big shocks tonight? Has anybody thought of something that might be really left field and exciting in tonight's draft? Well, Levis going at two would be mad. Yeah, obviously, <laughs> apart from that. <laughs> I mean, there have been a couple of interesting rumors about possible trade-ups for quarterbacks. And um, I've heard that maybe the Vikings are interested in moving into the top three to take Anthony Richardson. Um, I mean, that... Oh, that... what? I'll see you later, Justin Jefferson. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, oh, I would hate that so much because I just think uh, the Vikings are doing so many beautiful things right now. I just would just no. Yeah, I mean, and I I don't know that they have the draft capital to really do that, but that that Cardinals pick is definitely in play. I don't think oh, the Cardinals yeah. want to draft there, and the Cardinals are a really intriguing team because they've got that pick that um, you know we'll see what kind of heat is on that pick for a possible trade up for a quarterback. And they've got Deandre Hopkins who could be moved tonight. Um, you know, he could be the AJ Brown of this. Well, the, I think the AJ Brown thing was wholly unexpected last year. Hopkins, yeah. I don't think would be too unexpected. And I suppose we should mention other guys who could possibly be traded tonight. Um, maybe one of the reasons why some people don't think the Texans go for a quarterback at number two is that maybe they're interested in dealing for Trey Lance who suddenly looks like he's expendable for uh, the 49ers. So I, I um, mean, he's definitely going, isn't he? Because I was saying this to someone and said, well, do you really think Trey Lance is going to go? It's like they, they've tipped the hand because they signed Sam Donald. Sam Donald is not going to San Francisco to be the, to be a third guy. quarterback. Right. It's not yeah. happening. So he's definitely, he's definitely going. And it would make sense that tonight is premium night, but he could go early tomorrow. Like it, it could, I don't think it necessarily has to happen tonight, but right. Yeah. I think you're right. I think that that's a, it could be the text. I think there's a few teams that could be in play for, yeah. for Trey Lance. Um, and, and one, one more quick one for you is um, there's been a little bit of a uh, suggestion of the possibility that the Patriots might be looking to move on from Mac Jones and trade up and get someone else because apparently uh, there's a rift between Mac Jones and Bill Belichick. So I don't know about the uh, credibility of that rumor, but I've heard that from a, a few different places as something that could wild. conceivably happen. Yes. So I, I think, I think we will see at least one sort of trade involving a team that, uh, you know, maybe we're not expecting to move up in the draft but wants to move up in the draft and take a quarterback. I, I think we're going to get at least one surprise trade up for a quarterback. Yeah, I, I think that will happen. I, I'm looking more at trade backs. So I actually have the Colts trading back. Um, we know that they love to do this. We know that they love to build draft capital. I can see them moving down a few slots. I, I don't understand why Arizona wouldn't just pick um, Will Anderson Jr. I don't know why you wouldn't do it. I just think he's the best player in the draft. Why would you not select the best player in the draft? Like <laughs> I just think it, it it's got to be pretty pretty easy, right? I kind of get the logic of taking a quarterback at one. I kind of get the logic of taking a quarterback at two. I personally would advocate Houston taking Will Anderson Jr. and not taking a quarterback, and instead roll with a quarterback like a Davis Mills or go and get yourself like a Matt Ryan or something and just roll for a year or two and just build your team to where you're ready to compete. Cause I think taking a quarterback now with Houston, we've seen this mistake over and over again with 
the Jets as an example, where they take a quarterback when the team is absolutely nowhere near ready to compete. They set the quarterback up to fail. Whether or not they were good enough or not to begin with is is a debate in its own right. But Sam Darnold went on to a truly awful team, and he's not a generational talent like a Trevor Lawrence, like a Joe Burrow. And they're the exclusions to this rule. If you've got a generational player at quarterback, you've got to select them. But team select um, a quarterback at one or two. Mitchell Trubisky's another one. Players that are overdrafted on their skill set but actually don't have that ability to transcend and, and go ahead and, and change the organization's direction of travel. And then they end up picking another quarterback in three years because it's not worked. And I think if I'm Houston... I'm probably, if I was the GM, if I was Nick Casario, I would take Will Anderson Jr. I would just take a, a bridge quarterback, or I've got one on the roster in, in Davis Mills. Um, and I would just sit there and I would take the best player in the draft. And I would just keep stockpiling the best players in the draft and build the trenches, build the offensive line, build the defensive line, build a good nucleus of talent if I was Houston. And then when I'm ready to be in a Super Bowl window, take my quarterback and use that as a cheat code. Because we're seeing it now every year. Teams getting to the Super Bowl with their quarterback on a rookie contract. We saw it last season with Jalen Hurts. We saw it the year before with Joe Burrow. We saw it the year before that or a couple of years before that with um, Patrick Mahomes. The exception was Kansas City and... Um, and Tampa Bay in the COVID year. But Tampa Bay had... Tom Brady on a $25 million contract. It wasn't a cost prohibitive and he's always taking a below market deal. So having a quarterback on a below market deal, either if you signing them on a below market deal or a rookie, which is the more common way of doing it is a huge cheat code to your organization. So I think why would you burn that and take a quarterback now? Uh, the trade for Trey Lance makes more sense if it doesn't over cost you, but it's certainly more than drafting one, but I, I personally would would take Will Anderson Jr. as if I was the Texans GM, except the fact we're not going to be brilliant this year because you're in a tough division anyway, and just move on and just and build next year, take your draft capital, build your team out, and then once in two years' time, once you've got your team in a half-decent spot, then you can start thinking about quarterback. Yeah, and I think um, it's funny. They might be able to get Will Anderson and Trey Lance because I, I feel like the 12th, pick would be pretty fair compensation for Lance. And I have a feeling the 49ers would take that if um, yeah. if it were offered to them. I'm definitely with you. I, I can at least forgive the Texans if they take a quarterback over Will Anderson at number two. I think I would be with you, Murph, and personally prefer Anderson. What I couldn't agree with is if they take Tyree Wilson over uh, <laughs> Will Anderson, as has been widely rumored. And yet they've got a, a head coach who was a linebacker at Alabama and has certainly access to the, uh, you know, the people inside that building to know everything he needs to know about Will Anderson, who, boy, uh, I know his third year wasn't quite as impressive as his second year. But after the 2021 season, if someone would have told me that Will Anderson was not going to be a top three pick, I mean, I would have pretty much bet uh, my meager life savings mm -hmm. on uh, that not being the case. So uh, I'll be shocked if Anderson slides out of the top three. Yeah, I, I just I think that would be one of the most most awful falls yep. I can think of because I I like I just think he's the best player in this draft. I just think it's not close. I don't, there's not that many first rounders to begin with, and then you've got a player like him who I think if I'm sitting here and you were to ask me 
shortlist two or three guys who could potentially be potential multiple pro bowlers slash in a conversation if it all goes well for a Hall of Fame career. I can only come up with Anderson Jr. in this class. I can't see any. I think you can you can make a case for a couple of players potentially being multiple pro bowlers at, at tackle. Um, Pash Johnson Jr. could be one of those guys, for example. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think, I think if I'm looking at players who could potentially have a Hall of Fame career in this draft, Will Anderson Jr. is kind of where I draw my line and say, that's it. So yes. for, for him to fall outside of three would be madness. And he's just the biggest, I don't know. I just think, it, I just don't, I wouldn't understand it. I wouldn't, I just wouldn't get it. Like I'd sit there and go, I'd, I'd need someone to explain to me why they passed on him because I, I wouldn't get it. I get it at Carolina. I kind of get it at Houston, although I wouldn't do it. I certainly wouldn't get it anywhere else. It just wouldn't make sense to me unless you're in a win-now mode and you need one piece and that one piece is going to help you get there. And I still think, well, that's genius. a pretty good piece that will help you compete this year. Yes. Yeah, it, it, it would be baffling. Right, guys, let's fire the finishes off mm. with a quick fire ultimate fantasy finish. You can have one player, you choose the player. Where would you want them to land for the maximum fantasy uh, performance in this year or, or, or going forward? Um, Murph won't like this, but I'm going to say B. John Robinson to the Eagles because I would love to see as many. Uh, Issues as the Eagles might have feeling that they need to, uh, you know, upgrade at safety, cornerback, replace some of those old edge rushers, maybe get another defensive lineman to play alongside uh, Jordan Davis. I mean, how good a defense do you need if you've got Bijan Robinson, Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith and Dallas Goddard? Uh, like that offense could be a 30 point a game offense. So that's sort of the dream scenario. Um, I, I do think they would have a, uh, a, a dream team on offense. I, I just would love to see that. I don't think maybe it won't happen. Um, you know, maybe that's a, a hoarding of offensive resources, but uh, that's, that's the one I think I'd kind of like to see. I've got one that I think is highly, I don't want to say highly likely, but I think is, is one that wouldn't shock most people uh, if it, if it was to happen tonight and that would be Zay Flowers to the Los Angeles Chargers at 21. I just think that is that just fits for me like absolutely perfectly. Uh, going to be the heir apparent to Keenan Allen. You're going to put him on a great, highly charged offense. We know that Mike Williams can't always stay healthy. Um, he's going to get plenty of opportunity. That team can support three wide receivers as well with the amount they put it in the air. We still don't know what's going to happen with Austin Eckler. Let's say he gets moved on as a player. You could also watch out for in the next two days as to what happens with him. Uh, if they move on from Eckler, this ball's going to go in the air 650 plus times next year. And people are going to be there to catch it. And Zay Flowers could be very, very good. Uh, not just year one, but I think from a dynasty perspective, he could vault up to the second wide receiver for me in dynasty if if he goes if he goes to the Chargers. Uh, one, because the capital stacks up. But two, I just think you want to get as many guys on that Chargers offense as possible. And I think that one would, would really excite me if it was to happen. I like that one too. It seems like a lot of people have Jordan Addison mocked there, but it seems like he and Keenan Allen have slightly redundant skill sets. They need they mm. could use a speed dimension and, and yeah. flowers would give them that. And we know that Herbert can can exploit that because he's he's done it with uh 
Heighton and whoever else he's had to, <laughs> to right. go over the top. Um, uh, random X receiver here with pace insert here. Uh, so yeah, I think give him an actual pace weapon that he can use more frequently. And I think that that could just be really exciting. And I think it, it will unlock Justin Herbert even more because it will give them more to think about defenses covering him. But I just think for Zay Flowers, Justin Herbert, I just think everything is, is just awesome. I just love the Chargers. I think they're a great team. So give them great players and get them better. Fair. Fair. My only pushback you? on that is like, uh, um, well, I will get to me. My only pushback on that, Murph, is I think the Chargers, their only receiver they had for their top 30 visit was Jordan Addison. So potentially that could put a little kibosh on your sitch there. For me, this is a really difficult one. I, I'm really high on Gibbs, but he's not a true three down back. I think... If Charbonnet was to go to the Bengals, because I think June 1st, they can cut, they save 10 million from releasing Mixon. So I think if Charbonnet was to go to the Bengals and just exactly the same as the Eagles, load up that offense with an even, Charbonnet, he could be a three down back. I think he's got the skill set to do so. And if you were to stick in there with Joe Burrow and just be that short yardage blanket, when he rode, Burrow goes through his progression so quickly, nothing there, Bosh, Charbonnet, give it to Charbonnet. Charbonnet, I just, that would be, Absolutely fantastic. I like I got, that one. I yeah, that would be cool. That would well, be- also there's some rumour about is 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 Mixon going to play much next year? He could have an impending suspension yeah. with some off-the-field stuff. So that would make a lot of sense. Um, yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm a bit more excited now than yes. I was, I would say, a few <laughs> hours ago. Well, um, if, if Pat and I have managed to spend the hour and a half hyping up the draft for you to be excited, Murfast, you slam into your work life, but then that is our mission. Completed. I'm always excited. Yes. I'm just saying I'm I'm less excited than I I would be in previous years. I think it's again. I just think the lack of the lack of talent, but uh, elite talent. But yeah, I think I think you're right. I think there's a lot of scenarios tonight with trades. I really hope it happens. I hope it puts on a really good show. Um, and I, I, Kansas City looks like a fun place to host it as well. So I'm excited to see what they do. Um, and I really hope that the commissioner doesn't get in the way of the draft too much. Uh, he's kind of making himself more and more of the star of the show. And it needs to be less and less of that. He is going to get booed. We know that. <laughs> I, I don't mind him getting booed. Like I don't, I don't mind him playing the crowd a little bit, but sometimes it, it kind of, he, he drags it on a little bit. Like when they bought the chair, was it, Last year, where they bought the chair out, or was it the year before? And then they had people from the crowd making picks from the chair, and it was just a bit like, <laughs> okay, like we've done that once, that was funny. You, this yes. is the 32nd time we've seen a team come and draft out of the chair. Like, come on, this is me. <laughs> like, I get it. Um, I, I just before we go, right, and 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 conscious we've been on for nearly an hour and a half, is uh, I, I got a fun bit of trivia handed to me yesterday and it's who was the first player to hug the commissioner when drafted in the first round that is so obscure that you'd have to know it to even have a guess it wasn't that long ago and the only reason the only reason it's it i know this is because this player has been in the news uh this week then that's (laughs) the only reason why it came up wow so it was it was Goodell, it was Goodell being hugged. So it was Goodell. Goodell was the yeah. Goodell was the commissioner. Uh, this player was drafted in 2010. Oh well, that's me out instantly. 
I, Boy, I, I'm, I I'm struggling here. I'm, I'm trying to trying to think back of who might have. See, this is what I, I do. I have to give up. Me. It's Gerald McCoy. Announced his wow. retirement this week from the NFL. He was the first player to hug the commissioner, and then it became an ongoing tradition with players ever since, every year, including Christian Wilkins a few years ago, who sent the commissioner flying when he jumped into <laughs> that. Was, that's still one of my all-time favorite draft moments. <laughs> See, it, it doesn't matter, Murph. I've been away for a long time. We used to do a segment called Murph on the Streets where you brought interesting NFL stats to the podcast, and there you are, straight back at it, bringing that <laughs> random stat from the middle of nowhere to the forefront of people's imagination. That's why people subscribe. You you can get your top 32 picks anywhere, but how many people are talking about Gerald McCoy hugging the commissioner as an interesting fact, and that being the first one? It, it was a good one. It was a good one. I'll tell you what was good. Me being back in this chair doing this, Get to do it with you, Murph. Pat, get to do it with you on my return back. I mean, I don't think it starts much faster than that, if I'm brutally honest. Pat, if people aren't aware of where you are out there in the whole wide world, where can they find your work and the stuff you're producing? They can find me at uh, fantasypros.com. There's going to be, I think I am doing a uh, Dynasty Superflex mock draft immediately after round one to uh, <laughs> see how see how the the round one landing spots are going to change the landscape. So uh, look for that tomorrow, I guess, on Friday. And um, they can find me on the uh, the Fantasy Pros podcast and the Fantasy Pros Dynasty podcast. Unfortunately, I ended Fits on Fantasy after 222 episodes. Uh, just had no, to. I'm going to be appearing on a few more of the Fantasy Pro, Pros podcast this fall. So I was uh, I didn't want to get a bit too overextended there. And uh, people can find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. And I just want to thank both of you for having me. I always love catching up with you guys. I, I feel honored that I was invited to be the guest upon Stock's triumphant return to the show. And, um, you know, if Scott Hansen won't go as far to call you the best fantasy football podcast in the UK, he says you're one of the best. I, I'm going to go ahead and say the best. Oh, well, that's very kind. I appreciate it and always appreciate you coming on. I don't know how many times it's been. Uh, for me, not enough. I am very sad that Fits on Fantasy is gone because I absolutely love that show. But it means you being on the main pod uh, more is great. And Dynasty Pros podcast is amazing. Uh, you had a good friend of mine, Tom Strachan, on there recently. Um, you know, So it's great to have more UK content creators out there and was pleased to see him on there. And uh, also, I get to meet your great friend, Colm Kelly, in July, which I cannot wait at the UKFFC, who is the producer of Fits on Fantasy. So I'm looking forward to catching up with him in person and, and sharing some Pat Fitz love then. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about that. He's very excited to meet you in person. And uh, that's going to be quite an event. I might have to find an excuse to get over to the UK for that. Uh... Well, that'd be amazing. Um <laughs> I'm looking forward to doing a segment on breaking into creating content for the fantasy football community. So I'm looking forward to doing that. And uh, I'm two spots after me is my twin, Will Gavin. Now, Will Gavin, for you, Fitz, or for anyone in the US, is a sports broadcaster here in the UK, does radio broadcasts. So he does Super Bowl. Uh, he gets to fly over every year for the Super Bowl and does it for radio. So when we broadcast on the radio here, so he's like uh, our equivalent to whoever you'd have on like Westwood one kind of thing. Um, so 
but him and I look very, very similar. He has a bigger beard than me, but we look very, very <laughs> similar. So even his promo tweet mentioned that he was my lookalike. I think I'm more his lookalike than he is mine, but uh, either way. Uh, yeah, so I think it's literally me, one other person, and him. Like, So it's going to be a lot of big ginger guys on stage uh, <laughs> in a really short space of time that's going to weird out a lot of people. So I, I don't think there's fun. enough big ginger guys on stage, if I'm honest, Murph. It's... it's uh... <laughs> We're I'm dying breed. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, We're I'm raising breed. one. I'm raising one. So Yeah, you um, are. And, and same here. So, you know, both our lads both our lads look like they could be brothers. That's it. That's it. I love it. Boys, this this has been an experience. It's been a pleasure to be back. Pat, it's been a pleasure. Murph. I'm so pleased I'm back, my man. If you don't know where Murph is, you can follow him on Twitter at Murph underscore NFL. You can go find his brain dump and sub stack. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, head over to Patreon and check out Five Blood Rush over there. We have a varying degree of tiers, I believe, Murph, still. I haven't obviously plugged that in a while, yeah. so that could be out of date. But Rush Nation, it's draft night. We are mere hours away. I hope your team drafts sensibly and you get something you deserve. It's a bit like the second Christmas for us NFL fans. But until next week, Rush Nation, as always, do not forget, keep rushing. I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.